Hello, I'm Francesca Millican-Slater, and welcome to the first stories to tell in the middle of the night. These are stories that aren't always about the night, but carry a sense of the night, of being awake when no one else is, unrest when the sleep won't come, the things that keep us awake. They are stories I tell myself when I can't find my sleep. So, I hope I'm sitting comfortably in your ear or on your speaker, in bed, on a shelf, it might be the night and your awake clock ticking or you might be listening as you go to work on your way back home cooking or washing up that's when i like to listen to voices in my ear but maybe you've got a dishwasher with each set of stories we'll visit a different kind or part of the night in stories short and some a little longer this week we're on a night out but there'll be nights in with lovers the found and lost the lost and left behind that visit us at night the lonely there's always the lonely in the night and the frustrations how we try and spend them a little bit of lust horror some stories are true, some start in real events, some are a little more hazy. So let's say, wherever you are, your sun is falling six degrees below the horizon, civil dust. The streetlights flickering on, the birds quieting down, that one brave one whistling out. Learn car alarms, mobile phone rings. She falls, the sun, to 12 degrees below into nautical dusk. So called as it is when ships can begin to navigate by the light of the stars just about out there in the middle of the sea. Freight ships, sailing ships, lost ships, falling into 18 degrees below the horizon to astronomical dusk for all you stargazers out there now able to see the planets with a good telescope. And then into the dark, the night proper. I'll be your navigator on this set of stories to take us on a night out. From dancing under disco lights to blood on the pavement with the watchers and the shakers in between. So, here's some stories as an ode to nights out. Your first one, the regular ones, the ones that don't end as they should. Put on your dancing shoes and let's go uptown in the Pied Piper of Broad Street. If you've been to the city, you'll know its name. You'll know what 
runs down its rivets. If you've never been, you'll still know a street, a road like it, in a town or a city near you. Bars and pubs, clubs, kebab shops, strip clubs, gentlemen's clubs. On the weekends, it's high heels, no trainers and shots, chat-up lines, drinks bought, gropes and fists raised that they say they don't remember the next day. Vomit stains as neighbours to kebabs on the floor, chilli sauce and bile. But on a Tuesday night, this is a Tuesday night, there's no steam in the windows, no queues at the door. The flyer is still out, trying to persuade passers-by in gym wear and homeward-bound stairs that they deserve a drink. Sometimes it picks up, often not. So the contractors and the salesmen, suits, sweating skin, sink pint glasses on their own. It's not really a club. It's a bar with lights and the chairs cleared away. Men line the walls, not quite line, but there are a fair few. Discarded of their high-vis, jeans pressed in Corby trouser presses, premier in ironing boards. Businessmen are on their own, down-winding from the job they do, where they smile and plead, knowing soon they'll be unnecessary. But the old-fashioned forms keep them on the straight mantra of working for wife and their kids, except she earns just as much as him now. Nights alone in hotel rooms with more channels than they can watch. And although there's always porn on the phone and the internet's included in the room, they want a place to stomp their feet, let loose so far from home. The lights going round and round on an empty dance floor. The music too loud to really talk. One man with his eyes closed singing his own content in double denim ecstasy. Fair play. No women here tonight save the bored barmaid and she's just about older than the kids at home steer clear her fresh face made impassive by deflection of beard up propositions around the bar the same men they might nod to every week or every other among the bright lights and the smoke machines it is not ladies night don't really fancy the music much but the beer is cheap and cold mainly though plastic glasses are always a disappointment there's no fear of fights on a tuesday night usually then a lad young lad where's he from walks onto the dance floor the empty floor with the lights spinning round and round nods his head bends his knees sets his face and starts to dance Not massively well, but not massively bad. Waves his arms. And he's not looking for encouragement or feedback on his moves, but his arms as he waves them seem to say, come on, join me, come onto the floor. Nobody cares what moves you make. And one by one, step, side, step, head, nod, foot, shake, they move to the beat. Not quite together, not really apart. The contractors, the businessmen, the man in double denim, the two tight jeans and slick suits, they let the music take them. 
on a Tuesday night, in a place, in a city, in a town, in a bar that could be anywhere in this country. Without shame or laughter at one another, there they are, here they are. No shame in their body, they'll sweat in their suit. They'll never be Usher, Michael Jackson or Anton de Beck. But now they're dancing, washing out, working out in salty sweat. The conferences and the lanyards, the problems of the day, the UHT milk in hotel rooms, they're driving Jeff from fucking accounts. They are dancing. I saw him once, the Pied Piper, from the dark of a corner in the walkabout in my adopted home city. Like I say, if you know the name of the street, you'll know the city I mean. And if you don't, you should visit the second city, Birmingham. There's much more than kebab shops, canals and concrete. But I grew up in Watford. <laughs> Have you heard of Watford? the hometown of George Michael, Jerry Hallowell, Elton John and 2017 X Factor winners Rack Sue. And if you don't know Watford, or you're listening from outside the UK, it's a satellite town just outside of London. And it's just like every town outside any big city, where once was a high street of shops is now a high street of bars and a glass-enclosed shopping centre with a turntable of familiar shops a food court surrounding a statue of Atlas balancing the world on his large shoulders. It could be anywhere. I grew up there as a teenager drinking vodka straight from the bottle under flyovers where underage clubs doubled as laser quests and Mark Morrison's Return of the Mac was spilling out of doorways. UK Garage and R&B was the beat behind my adolescence with an undercurrent of Britpop, indie and a smattering of grunge. So here's some familiar sounds in The Moon and Us. At a teenage disco with Thunderbird on their lips, Sally and Richard are thrown together in a mass of moshing adolescence as the dance floor is hit by Smells Like Teen Spirit. And that school hall really did smell like teen spirit. Links and disappointment, spit and stale cigarettes, tears and diamond white. As Kurt Cobain repeats, hello, 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 how low, Sally is thrown against Richard by the crowd that are moving as one. He's the only thing stopping her fall to the floor. She's the only thing stopping him leave. Baby, 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 baby
As the crowd disperses, the wail of guitars makes way for the tentative of Casey and Jojo's All My Life. And Sally tries to step away. She's embarrassed. All eyes are on her. But Richard holds her in his orbit, one hand on the small of her back, the other loosely gripped in hers, her face so very close to his. She's got quite a big face, actually, but like in a good way. And all the other kids have faded back, just standing at the sides, dotted around, watching, just watching Sally and Richard turning around and around and around. And it, it seemed as though the song would never end. Casey and Jojo playing endlessly on, on a loop forever. But Sally can't stay here forever. Her dad's waiting in the car park, but she can't let go of Richard's hands. And they are facing each other now, just standing, hands low but gripped tight. And the ridges in between their fingers have become damp and verging on the uncomfortable. His sweat mixed with her sweat. But inch by inch, Sally starts to slowly step away until it's just their four fingers touching, just their fingertips. Sally's eyes locked on Richard's and they are just staring, standing, staring until Sally starts to step backwards towards the fire exit. Her, her dad is waiting in the car park and the music is dying down and the other kids are leaving and Richard is just watching Sally get further and further and further away from him and he knows once he loses sight of her, he'll never see her again. And for the first time in his short adolescent life, he realizes that his skin is already dead, that his nails are already growing, that his hair will thin and his bones will crack and ache and weaken. And right now, he's the youngest he will ever be again. Sally exits backwards through the fire door wind at her back her eyes still locked on Richard in to the car park walking backwards oh very slowly and he can see her face in the floodlights shining getting smaller and smaller and smaller until she's just a sliver of the glow she emits and then she gets in the car. Back in the school hall, it's all strip lights and soggy paper plates with spilt cut price panda cola, deflated balloons, links, Charlie Red. And Richard is standing with his hands still out in front of him. And then the lights go out. That's the moon and us. You might have heard of this, the moon moving away. It was news a few years ago, though I guess it's not new news. It's always been happening. The moon is moving away from us. 
millimetre by millimetre over millennia. She used to have a much bigger face. You could really see her craters. Our days are getting longer. Today is, has, will be the shortest day of the rest of your life. Things running away. Last chances, missed opportunities, the things you should have said, the things you should have done, the people that you used to be creep in at night. Playing familiar scenes, seen on screen, small and large, on repeat. Those stories that you're left with from those nights out on the piss. In our third story, violence. In the air-conditioned office that she worked in, she watched a colleague of hers speak enthusiastically, nodding his head too much, staring too long, hands rubbing together, and she imagined what it would be like to push her thumbs into his eye sockets and carry on going, or her hand into his face at speed here, ligatures split. She wondered at the colour of his blood. She'd always courted violence from afar, lauded in the fights in the shitty town that she grew up in, police vans parked every Saturday night as ill-advised blows to the face were taken and received by men in checkered or pastel-coloured shirts, uniforms of sorts. Those bands of men, those small armies who, in other circumstances or times of the day, might hold each other up in friendship, but at night, inexplicable rage at a look too long, a drink knocked over, a hand misplaced. It's the same in towns and cities up and down the country, girls reaching down to take off shoes, holding them aloft as outrage in stiletto imprint. And all of this she'd seen and reveled in. Stains on the pavement, the crouching down, whispers of what had happened, circles tightening in around sparring partners, bloodlust with the best of us. Once, in a club with no windows underneath neon flashing lights, she had watched a man kick the knees out from beneath another, run and stamp the heel of his slip-on leather loafer upon the temple of the prone man. And she'd tell the story in delicious tones. Because what else was he trying to do but kill him? Backstairs of the discotheques where she'd worked, rooms her and the other young women were shut out of so as to not hear the slow thud of a boy who's drunk too much and opened his mouth, being kicked down concrete steps. When talking about fights in the age of her youth, as you do, she could begin to feel her heart beat faster, quicken, excited at what had been inflicted, just far enough away not to really wince in pain. Oh, and this was before everyone had a camera in their pocket, viewed everything through a lens to be stored and edited and spliced and posted and commented on the ongoing split lip, the repeated punch in the face, unchangeable anger on a loop, again and again and again. 
And now, on screen small and large papers in the aftermath, she collected the acts themselves, where she could get her fix any time of the day. As she grew older, casual acts of violence didn't occur so close to her home. Adult life, in real life, where she worked, where she lived, and who'd she become, didn't offer up as much opportunity to watch blood spilt as in her youth. Oh, she saw the occasional frisson and pointless rage, but nothing to really get the heart beat pumping. Accidentally, it had happened that way. She just didn't live in a place where that sort of thing happened. So, she watched film after film in action and gun, horror after horror in sore and blood, bludgeon after bludgeon in country lanes and old-style streets, cold bodies glassed, eyes bleak, hills grim smiles. Glass of wine. Chocolate eclair to watch. Delicious. But it wasn't enough. She wanted more. The real. Accessible to all. Wobbled mobile phone videos taken on public transport of people losing the plot and walking through glass windows. Fights in crowds. Bodies tied. Spittled insults. Gunshots. Cries in despair. In the safety of her heated home, headphones in to really hear the sound, she had watched these scenes play out in tiny figures again and again and again. And from these, she learned, practiced them on her colleagues in her head. She knew how she'd react if she was approached, felt the rage within her bones, confidence in heroism learnt. While walking down her well-lit streets, she'd grip her keys between her knuckles, repeating to herself what she would do if she was approached. She'd gouge out eyes, yeah. She'd rip out throats. She played clips on a loop in her head and wondered at the weight of arms and the sharpness of knives. Hero, vigilante, fighter. But when it happened, it was not exciting. It was not filmic. It was nothing. It was one small threat from a shaking hand, little more than a kid, and she did not react with a jab to the ribs or a kick to the head. She did not have her keys gripped between her knuckles, and talking was not a way out of this. She looked into eyes and saw not anger, rage, or spoil for a fight, but desperation and familiarity in this act. Cash, phone, whatever. She was left. Next day, in the shop downstairs, the man served her with a smile on his face while looking at his mobile phone, sounds emitting kitten videos, she thinks. He flips it over and she sees tiny figures playing out a single act of violence. Again and again. And again.
Thank you for listening to Stories to Tell in the Middle of the Night. That was Set One, A Night Out. Next time, we'll be visiting the frustrations, the things that stop us sleeping, and the people that we blame. If you have enjoyed this Stories to Tell, please let us know by rating, reviewing, tweeting, messaging us. You can visit storiestotellinthemiddleofthenight.com or tweet us at middlenighttale. We are originally releasing the episodes weekly over nine weeks from May 2018, but if you're listening from the future, hello. All nine sets of stories are available to download at iTunes Podcast or where you usually get your podcasts. They have been released in an order which references the next episode, but they don't have to be listened to in that order. They are made so that each set of stories stands on its own, although if you like them, I would listen to episode nine last. Its theme is hope as morning breaks, and that's a good thing to listen to last. We have also released a selection of BSL video interpretations of these podcasts. These can be found at storiestotellinthemiddleofthenight.com. Stories to Tell started as a theatre show, born from ideas of people, friends, awake and up in pain or anxiety and not being able to sleep. These stories are made to be listened to when you are awake, a light still on or not, although I have been told that I have a voice that sends dogs to sleep, in a good way, but I think... It is written and voiced by me, Francesca Millican Slater. Sound design is by Ian Armstrong with podcast support from Mark Steadman, produced by Pippa Frith, supported by Arts Council England. Copies of the original theatre text are published by Ink Concrete. You can buy or download at inkconcrete.com or on Amazon. Stories to Tell in the Middle of the Night, the theatre show, was originally commissioned by Birmingham Repertory Theatre and was supported by Arts Council England, China Plate and the Sir Barry Jackson Trust. It was produced by Pippa Frith. I'm Francesca Millican-Slater and you can find out more about what I do at francescamillicanslater.co.uk. Ian is Ian with two eyes at ianarmstrong.net Pippa is at pippafrith.co.uk and Mark Stedman is at stedman.io. Listen out for a bonus episode where myself, Ian and Pippa will be in conversation about sound, the show, how it became a podcast and if Ian has been recording cutting his toenails. <laughs>